Amen. Aren't you thankful nothing's too hard for God? Nothing is too hard for God. Galatians chapter number four will dismiss our children. And if I invite you to stand as you turn to Galatians chapter four, ages three to seven, our children will be dismissed to uh, the children's uh, program. And they'll be coming back over here for the baptism. So parents, you should be able to get them from here. They'll be over uh, somewhere in one of these front sections. Galatians chapter number four. And as we stand out of respect for the reading, preaching of the Bible, we're going to look at as we go through this journey, this series in the book of Galatians dealing with finding freedom. The Apostle Paul is moved into the application or, or still in the doctrinal section before he gets to the application part, chapters 5 and 6. So he's laying some groundwork that they need to understand. He explained their salvation in verses 1 through 7. He talked about the fact that before they were saved, verses 1 through 3, they were in bondage. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're in bondage to sin. You are a sinner because that's how you were born. You are a sinner because that's what you do. And you're a slave to that sin. You're in bondage and you take your last breath without Jesus being your personal Savior. You must spend an eternity with everyone else who dies without Christ. And it was never intended for people that God created and Jesus died for to go to hell. But if you reject Jesus and His salvation, you'll go where everyone else goes who die in the bondage of their sin. So he says, before you were saved, verses one through three, you are children in bondage. Verses four through five, he says, here's what God did for you. He redeemed you. He, he purchased you with his own blood. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He put down the payment for all of your sin. Salvation is you taking the gift that Jesus offers. In verses six through seven, he talked about what we are once we're saved. We're sons, we're heirs. See, regeneration is how you get into this family of God. It refers to the new nature that we have in Christ. Adoption that we looked at last week, it deals with the privileges we have in the family of God. Regeneration is how we enter into the family. Adoption is how you enjoy being in the family immediately upon faith in Christ. But in verses 8 through 11, Paul's groaning. Paul's heart is aching. Notice what he says in verse 8. How be it then? When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather, are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you. What he's saying there in that phrase is, I fear. Not afraid of them personally, but I'm afraid. I fear lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. See, Paul's groaning here over their regression. 
how are they going backwards? Well, he says in verse 10, because you're adopting these Old Testament system of religion, these special days you're observing, these months, times, and years, special uh, observances. You're going back to ceremonial things and you're trying to find merit in that. And you're looking at that as, well, that ought to go on my spiritual resume because look what we're keeping. And Paul is saying, you're going backwards. And I'm concerned about it. I want to preach to you this morning on this thought. Turning back is not the way forward. Turning back is not the way forward. Or stop trying to go forward with backwards thinking. Stop trying to go forward with thinking backwards. Thank you. Please be seated. The Galatians, they have been saved and Paul's concerned about them. Judaizers, false teachers have gotten in and have used truth, but have intermingled some other things that were not true and trying to get them to buy into. In other words, he's giving them truth and he's giving them some tradition and they're showing just as much loyalty to tradition as they are truth. Every church has traditions. Every church, every church that I know of has some kind of traditions. Traditions are not all bad, but they cannot be equivalent to truth. Our loyalty must always be with truth versus tradition. And so they started observing things that were in their Jewish system in, in, in the Old Testament. And they started going back to that and observing these special days. Does that mean that we as Christians should not remember the birth of Christ once a year or that we should not observe the, the Holy Spirit's power being uh, coming upon the church at Pentecost? No, it doesn't mean that unless... We are hoping to gain some kind of spiritual merit or favor by worshiping those events. We're not worshiping those events. We're recognizing during those events the one that is to be worshiped. And so they're just simply going back to a system. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I observe those kinds of things. I don't observe those kinds of ceremonial things. Well, whatever was in your past, whatever it is that is a system of some kind, habits, thoughts, or practices that would take precedence and you cling to those over submission to Christ, then you and I would fall into the same danger that the Galatians were falling into. We have all probably at some point, somewhere, someplace, where we found in our life that going forward was so hard that we just wanted to turn around and go back. Mount Washington, there's a monument, a stone monument of a young lady who tried to climb that by the name of Lizzie Bourne from Maine. She and her two cousins set out to go up that mountain. And going up that mountain, she, they started out late. She wasn't really prepared. And she tried to do so without a guide. She got so fatigued and she was so exhausted. 
She said, I just can't. I cannot make it. They worked a little bit more. They persevered. And she finally got to a point that said, I can't go on. Late in the evening, she laid down with her cousins and she went to sleep, never woke up again. When daylight came, her two cousins realized they were only a few hundred yards from the top. Had she only known that she could have made it just a few hundred more yards. Perhaps we've tried to make some strides in a career, in a relationship, or our walk with Christ, yet things got harder instead of easier. It dawned on us to go any further would require more of us than maybe we wanted to give, or maybe we, what we thought we could give. So we glanced over our shoulder at the past, and we concluded it would be easier simply to turn around, to return, head back, rather than continue moving forward in the face of difficulties. And that's where the Galatians are. They find themselves in a tough spot. The way forward doesn't look obvious, nor does it look easy. So they decide to turn back to what's familiar. And they're going back to their pre-salvation, their pre-conversion pagan practices. Again, it may be for you, your practice was not of pagan idolatry, but it was their past, whatever your past might be prior to salvation. And Paul is simply pointing out to this crowd what they were guilty of. While our practice might be something different, it's always dangerous. It's always wrong to go back to what God saved us from. And what God delivered us from and go back to that because of its comfort or convenience. Paul believes these Galatians are deserting the Lord Jesus who saved them. They're defecting from their faith by turning to the practices of their former life. Indeed, they're relapsing into their former state of slavery to sin. Paul said in verse number eight that there was a time when you did not know God. You gave your life to these gods that were not the true God. But verse number nine, but after you got saved, after you, you have known God, or he says rather, you are known by God. Now you willfully choose to go back to the very thing you asked Jesus to save you from. I believe in Paul's mind, he's thinking of what happened to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Remember, God's people are in Egypt. They're in bondage and slavery. And they recognize this is not how God created us. This is not what God wanted us, uh, how he wanted us to live. So they prayed, God deliver us. And God sent a human deliverer by the name of Moses to represent the God of the impossible. Nothing is too hard for him. And after the uh, 10 miracles and plagues that were given, Pharaoh finally released the people of God. And as they set out, they come to the Red Sea. And here they begin to complain, why would God save? us only to bring us here. What's the option? What are we going to do? We're going to die. And God shows himself strong again. God delivers and God saved them. And that's the kind of God uh, that we have in the God of the Bible and the God that we serve. That's why we worship him. 
And God brings them across the, through the, the Red Sea being parted and the ground being dry. And they get across and the Egyptian army comes down and God releases the, the walls of water and it drowns the entire army of Egypt. And God's people then come upon Kadesh Barnea. And here's a geographical location that means consecrated. And all God's people had to do is remember why did God deliver us from Egypt? Oh, he delivered us from Egypt to take us to the promised land. But here at Kadesh Barnea, they begin to recognize going forward is not that easy. Going forward does not seem like a good idea. Why? Because there are giants. Giants in the land. Giants, and they said those giants make us look like grasshoppers. You remember the story? Caleb and Joshua said, yeah. It may be true, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, but in God's eyes, those giants are grasshoppers. There's nothing that's too hard for our God. And yet, 10 people who had doubts and were filled with, with unbelief, they persuaded the people of God, let's just stay here in the wilderness. And for 40 long years, the people of God wandered in the wilderness. You know, they didn't fight the battles that God had in store for them. God told them, you've got some battles to fight, you will win them. But they chose not to go into the battle that God had for them. They chose not to go as onward Christian soldiers. They decided to hunker down. Do you know who they ended up fighting? Themselves. And a lot of God's people, I want to tell you, any one of God's people who are fighting among themselves, it's because you're in a wilderness of sin and unbelief. You ought to be seeing God do the miraculous. You don't see God do the miraculous, well, you just as well take somebody's head off. You're going to bite and devour one another, Paul says, and you begin to, to take out your frustration on the people that you're going to spend an eternity in heaven with or the people that you ought to be leading to Jesus Christ. Wandering in a wilderness is not the place to be. But they were there. And Paul says, now you Galatians, thousands of years later, you're acting just like them. And I want to say, church, 2,000 years since Paul has written this, we're acting a lot the same way at times. Turning back is not the way forward. Turning back is not the way forward. Or stop trying to go forward by thinking backwards. Now, you would think it would be evident that turning back is not the way forward. And it is evident. But we still don't get it. And that's why the Apostle Paul, the man whose life was forever changed on that Damascus road, he's pretty passionate about it. And he doesn't back up, slack up, or pack up until he has gotten his message across that going backwards or hunkering down and staying put is not the intention God has for his people. He didn't save you so that you can sit down. He didn't save you so that you can stay on the sideline. He saved you so that he can do what he wants through your life. Yet we, like the Israelites or the Galatians, we tend to do the very same thing. Why? Well, usually God's people go backwards or just hunker down because we tend to look at the past as more promising than the future. Albert Einstein said, life is like riding a bicycle. But to keep your balance, you must keep moving. You've got to keep moving. Just riding over this morning, 
at 7.30 with Dr. Childs. He just said, I, I, don't, I don't want to stop for God. God's got more in store. I, I'm not here just to settle down. Do you know I have an eternity to settle down? I have an eternity to, to spend time resting at the feet of Jesus. Now I can be at the feet of Jesus and work and serve him. Now he gets on to me and he asks me, when are you going to slow down? I remind him when I get to heaven and I retire like you. But until then, we're going on. But I want to tell you, folks, you can't expect to move forward if you constantly have your foot on life's emergency brake. You're not going forward. When the way forward is hard, you have to walk by faith, not by sight, if you're going to walk with God at all. And that's precisely why people are going backwards, because they find it's easier. You don't have to live by faith to go backwards. You don't have to live by faith to be in the wilderness. You don't have to live by faith to pick your own battles with others and fight the battles of this world in your flesh. You don't have to live by faith. But I'll tell you what else you don't have. You don't have forward miracles taking place. You will never see them except from afar. And I like what Caleb said of old, I want the mountain. It belongs to me. I'm not going to settle with, with just looking at it at a distance. I want what God has promised me. Well, we've been there before. We've done it before. Not going to do it again. Not going forward. I'm going to get hurt. I've been hurt too many times. Who hasn't been hurt? You getting hurt is why you can't trust. You getting hurt is why you can't trust and obey and go for. You don't know what we've been through, preacher. No, but I know what Jesus went through. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made into the likeness of man. And he obeyed, the Bible says, and he went to the cross, your cross, my cross. Why? Because he made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself and he made himself a servant. And if that was Jesus, and no one's been hurt more than Jesus, no one has been hurt more than Jesus, yet he humbled himself, he became a servant, and he went to the cross for you and me. So you tell me, you tell me what's your excuse. I don't care what the previous pastor did to you. I don't care what the previous congregation, I don't care what all of human race or mankind has ever done to you. You never have a reason to not go forward. The only reason you're not going forward is because you think you are more bigger, you're greater, you're more important than Jesus himself. And so you won't humble yourself. But the moment you humble yourself, you'll find out, mm, this is where I find Jesus. The moment you take yourself and you make yourself a servant, you'll find out mm, this is where I find Jesus and when you become obedient as Jesus was obedient unto death even the death of the cross you humble yourself you take upon yourself the form of a servant and you humble yourself you'll find this is where I find Jesus Amen. and so you bellyache you bellyache more and more about how people have hurt you all you're saying is I'm the biggest baby that that God has ever died for why don't you stop being a baby and go forward? You know why you're not going forward? Because you're thinking backwards. <clears throat> Good preaching, preacher. Amen. Well, 
What happened when the Galatians turned from grace, power, back to law? Back to where I can control what I do, my own destiny. I can protect my own heart. I can protect my own journey. What happens when you do that? You, you go backwards rather than go forward. Let me give you, I think, three things. These will be on the screen here. Number one, it makes you powerless to even move forward. See, you're going back to protection mode. I, I, I can't let myself get hurt again. I've been hurt. Again, tell me a person who's not been hurt. I don't think that God can use somebody until they have been hurt. And, and so you, you find Jesus as the great example. And Jesus told his disciples that. You're, you're going to get hurt. But what did he say to them? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. You're ble get excited about it. What did uh, James say? Count it all joy. What did Paul say? Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. And so, but when you think backwards and you go back to protection mode, I want to go back to my comfort zone. I want to go back to um, my mommy. Then what happens is you don't have any power to go forward. It makes you powerless. See, when you return to your old way of life, you'll find you're not going to get greater strength to do lesser things. God didn't give David giant killing strength until he went after the giant. God didn't give Peter walking on water power until he got out of the boat. And God's not going to give you forward power until you stop backwards thinking. See, that's what he says to them in verse number 8 and 9. That they're abandoning their liberty in Christ. Notice again, verse 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. The, the phrase weak and beggarly elements. I love the beauty of the King James there. But the weak and beggarly elements, it simply tells us the extent of their regression. He says, when you Galatians return to that old lifestyle, you give yourselves to that which will only re-enslave you. Weak and beggarly. He's talking about there's no power in your backwards thinking. There's no power in your comfort zone living. There's no miraculous power, supernatural power of God. When you decide, I'm just going to hunker down. I'll come when I want to come. I'll do what I want to do. I'll give when I want to give. I'll be what I want to be. I'll, I'm just in charge. Who's Lord? Well, Jesus says, no, 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 you're Lord until you submit and surrender to him, lock, stock and barrel. Until then you are your Lord and there's no power there. No power. So Paul is, in essence, weeping over them because they have traded liberty for bondage, power for weakness, wealth for poverty in Jesus. And this is what Paul wants the Galatians to see. You turn back to your old way of life, your old way of thinking, your old habits. You surrender to that which is powerless. Well, you go back to your old habits. And you'll find those old habits have been hanging around waiting for you to come back. 
Whenever progress with Christ proves difficult, you're going to hear some voices from the past. Come back. And if you listen, you'll find your mind flooded with the memories of how good life used to be. Oh, when I used to could just smoke what I wanted to smoke, drink what I wanted to drink, watch what I wanted to watch, listen to what I wanted to listen to. But I'm telling you, what you're thinking and what you're seeing and what you're hearing is a mirage of memories. Don't give your eyes and ears or your attention to that which was hollow, to that which you begged Christ to save you from. I believe all of us are aware of internal and external powers fighting against God. I believe it was the comedian Flip Wilson who made famous the statement, the devil made me do it. We may not use those words itself, but we have the same feeling. There's some power that controlled me. There's some power that made me do it. And it's just not, it was not me. It was not my nature. I, I was not being myself. The devil made me do it idea is never and can never, are you listening? The devil made me do it. Or, or that was not me. That just was, was not me. I, I'm, it's not my nature to do that. That is never an excuse for the lack of accountability for the child of Almighty God. Why? Because the Bible clearly states and teaches that we are never relieved from our responsibility, no matter what the influence, no matter what the opposition, internal, external, because these evil forces do exist. The Bible's commanded us to be vigilant against them, to be sober-minded. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so Paul is saying, why would you go back to the weak and the beggarly elements of comfort and convenience because it seemed to you like the children of Israel. It was better in Egypt than trusting and obeying. It was better back there in Egypt. And what happens is you separate yourself from the miraculous power of Almighty God to go back to the comfort and the convenience because, oh, I don't have to trust God over here. But you also don't have to experience miracles. You also don't have to experience liberty. You also don't have to experience victory. You also don't have to experience God. God showing up in your life. Seeing God do wonders. And no, no, you don't see those things wandering in the wilderness. You saying, preacher, I'm not saved. No, I didn't say that. But if you have a question about it, you ought to check up on it and get it settled. But what I am saying is the children of Israel were the children of God in the wilderness. God was still good to him, to them rather, but he had so much more in store for them. And they forfeited it. You may go to heaven, and you will if you're saved. But you'll go to heaven third class. When you can go first class as a child of God, experiencing God here, and you won't have to be reintroduced to him when you get to heaven someday. Well, you put your lip out. Some of you, we're just going to park here. Number two, let's just park. When you turn back, number two, you're turning your back on the only one who truly knows you. You're turning your back on the only one who truly knows you. See, they're not turning their back on Paul, though they are. 
They're really turning their back upon the only one who truly knows them. Look at verse number 8. He says, How be it then when ye knew, what's the next word? Not God. He's saying before you were saved, you didn't know God. Verse number 9. But now, after that ye have known God or that you are saved. And then he elaborates, or rather, you're known of God. I said in the funeral service on Tuesday, a lot of times people say, well, I know God. True, but you're not getting to heaven until he knows you. And what he's talking about here is he knows everything, but he's talking about an intimate knowledge. See, the Bible says in John, the sheep hear his voice and they know him and the shepherd knows his sheep. He knows the ones who are his. He knows the ones who are not. But no one is experiencing Bible salvation until there has been that transaction. You've gone from the devil's family, John 8, 44, into God's family, Romans chapter number 8. And Paul is saying that before your conversion, Galatians, out of ignorance you are worshiping false gods. But now, he says, now a change took place when you got saved. So they know God. When he says, now you know God in verse 9, or you're, now that ye have known God, he's saying that's from man's perspective. Well, I know God. And that should mean there was a time you knew sin was your problem, hell was your consequence, Jesus was the answer. I don't want my sin, don't want to go to hell. I need Jesus. That's what salvation means. That's what he's saying. But he says, or are known by God. That is salvation from God's perspective. See, this knowing God or being known by God is the Greek word again, we've said this many times, gnosko. And it refers to a literal, intimate knowing and being known by God on a personal level. See, knowing God, that's the essence of the Christian life. I think it is very, very it's very clear. Nowhere do you find Jesus dying on the cross to save a person from sin and hell so that you can live your life the way you want to live it. Nowhere. Salvation, getting saved, experiencing Jesus is not so you can check off your religious activity. I went to church once a week. You know, used to, people come to church one time a year, um, and maybe two times, but they come at Christmas, and then we wouldn't see them again till Easter. I just feel like, I've done pretty good. But nowhere did Jesus die to save you so that you can do pretty good. You say, well, I'm not one of those people, I come every service. But he didn't die just so you can attend every service. He died so that you would know intimately him. Amen. That's why we have discipleship. That's why we have Bible fellowship. That's why we have men's conqueror groups helping men get out of the bondage, out of the tangling of sin, get out of those strongholds. Why? What's the whole purpose? So we would feel bad. No, so you can know intimately the one who died for you, the one who loves you, the one who knows you, the one who saved you. And so the essence of the Christian life is to be known by God and to know God. 
What matters most is not that I know him, but the more, more significant fact that underlines everything is whether or not he intimately knows you. I'm graven on the palm of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. He knows me as his friend. He loves me with an everlasting love. There's never a moment when his eye is all for me or his attention is distracted from me. And there's no moment when his care for me ever fails. Why? Because I belong to him. I've been chosen in Jesus Christ. I am kept as the apple of his eye. My name's been written in the book of life. I am kept by the power of God. And Paul is saying, if you're saved, that's the same with you. And you, we would be utterly insane to turn our back on that God and go back to the weak and beggarly elements only because it's comfortable and convenient. Paul's been very direct with them in these verses, in fact, in this whole letter. He's gotten to the core of their problem, foolishness. But he's not done saying everything he wants to say. There's another reason why they're turning their back is so insane. And for Paul, whose life was changed when he met Jesus, he takes it very personal. It's implied in his closing pathos Filled comment. Notice in verse number 11. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Here's a third reason that it's so dangerous to go backwards or to try to go forward with backwards thinking. Number three is because you squander away everything Others have invested in you. You squander, that's a Rabiantri word there. You squander away everything others have invested in you. At first I thought this was kind of self-focusing of Paul, maybe inappropriate. Kind of at this point, I kind of thought maybe we lost momentum. But I know better. I know this is... Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's right. But I just, I do these questions. I ask questions to try to get to the right answer. Paul, why are you doing this? Well, here's what I believe Paul is saying. Paul is like a father who tells his son who's just fallen off of his bike and broke his arm. Well, son, looks like I've just wasted my time teaching you how to ride that bike. Well, that's not what he's doing. He's not explaining, because you failed, I've wasted my time. But to understand Paul's comment as more than just sentimental appeal, you've got to remember that his life and ministry were tied to making Christians, those who get saved. His life and ministry was tied to taking people who trusted Christ as their Savior and bringing them to maturity in Christ as disciples and followers of Jesus. And Paul is simply saying, I cannot accept success in ministry as just seeing people take Jesus like taking a ticket to get on a ride. Jesus is not a ride to get you out of hell. Jesus is God, God who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul is saying, I'll never see it as success 
to, just to settle with and only to tell people, get saved and do whatever you want to do in your life as is convenient to you. No, no. Paul's saying that true success in following Christ, serving God, and being a preacher of Jesus Christ and the Word of God is to take people to Jesus and help people to see, stay there. Keep following Him. Follow Him no matter what. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Paul wrote, and I pray God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, how long? Until the day of his appearing. James said it this way in chapter five and verse eight, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, Paul's personal investment in these new converts. I think it must be the way a mother must feel for her firstborn son that goes astray. And in fact, this is just the image Paul conjures up in the book of Galatians because he tells us down in verse number 19 of chapter 4, anguish is so piercing from Paul. He's like a woman in labor prepared to give birth to them all over again. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. There's no doubt in my mind Paul shed tears over these Galatians, but not out of regret but out of distress. Like a mother, he's given them birth. And like a father, he's invested so much in them. Yet now they're prepared to throw it all away, to turn their backs. They quit. They pout. They look for things. They even complain against Paul. They complain against him. People complain. People can pick up anything and use that as an excuse. I'm not going back. I'm not going forward. I'm not going to serve God. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do it the way I see it. I'll tell you one thing. Don't tell too many times because you can't afford it. You're going to lose it. And you need to understand that God is for you. Christ died for you, but he didn't save you. So you can stay in the comfort of sin, in the stronghold of sin. He didn't save you so you can go back to the weak and beggarly elements. As your pastor I say to Canaan Baptist Church and to those who are not members, I say as a preacher of the word of God standing before you. It's important that we all understand, but especially our young people, our young adults, our teenagers. Let me ask you, do you realize, do you even appreciate how many people have invested in you over the years? How significant have been the sacrifices for your sake. How numerous have been the prayers made for you. How steady the support and encouragement. And should you abandon and go back to the weak and beggarly elements, you will in, fact, uh, uh, in effect waste all of this investment in you. You'll not only break hearts, you'll squander 
Who knows how much spiritual labor has been undertaken on your behalf. If you forsake Christ and His plan of discipleship and going forward in surrender, it'll all be in vain for you, for others. On the other hand, when you realize that for those who have poured themselves into your life for the sake of Christ, you see 3 John verse 4, no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 8, he tells us that if you stand fast in the Lord, you'll truly, truly live and know what life is all about. We all need to hear the message. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. It is utter insanity and foolishness to hunker down or adopt backwards thinking. I've been hurt. I've been done wrong. I've been cheated. I've been defrauded. I've been made fun of. I've been hurt. I've been undermined. Well, again, are you more special than Jesus? If Jesus went through that for you, then you could at least trust and obey for him. Frances Chadwick was one of the great open water swimmers of all time. She was the first woman to swim across the English Channel both directions. She broke the time records for making that long and difficult swim. She set out to cover the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the coast of California. After about 15 hours, Chadwick had been swimming and she was surrounded by a thick fog. And she began to struggle. Her mother was accompanying her in one of the boats nearby as she swam. And she began to tell her mom, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can make it. I don't think I can make it. And her mom tried to encourage her. She struggled and she struggled for quite some time. And then she eventually gave up. It wasn't until she got in the boat and she called it quits that she realized she was only one mile from shore. Just like the young lady going up the mountain, had she been able to see... She was just right there at the finish line. The next day, Frances Chadwick, she said to an interviewer, I am not excusing myself, but I absolutely believe with all my heart I could have made it had I just seen the land. I want to tell you how Moses made it. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you can only do that, my friend, by faith. One of the songs I was challenged with as a young Christian is a song that I still find great comfort and consolation and challenge. And it's the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. And those words on the very end that we say over and over is no turning back. No turning back. Let's stand together, please, and let's sing this together. You know the words. You've got them on the screen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Listen to it. No turning back. No turning back. With heads bowed, Lord Jesus, I preach the next passage in this series. But I also preached it with a burden on my heart. Because never have you been a God that's given us a mindset anywhere in the Bible 
of going back unless going back involves going back to you. Return to you, Malachi said. But he never, never will we find you ever communicating, go back to the weak and beggarly elements. Go back to the places of comfort and convenience. Go back to the old way of living. Lord, would you do something in our hearts? Somebody perhaps is right at a point where they're willing to throw in the towel and give up. Just ease up and, and settle in the wilderness of sin and wondering. Lord, would you help them to see you've got enough power. You're the miracle working God. You want to deliver and you can deliver if they'll but trust and obey. So would you help now, I pray. With heads bowed, the piano will play. And if God's spoken to you, I invite you to come. If you're not saved, listen to me. Church membership doesn't save anybody. The church didn't die for you, can't save you. Your good works can't save you, but Jesus will. If you get serious about Jesus saving you, He is already serious about saving you. Would you come? We can take a Bible and show you how you can be saved. I wouldn't go out of here and gamble with my soul and go out of here and risk dying. By the way, you will die. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. But one day you'll take your last breath. You won't get a do-over. What you do with Jesus here determines what He does with you then. Will you take Jesus by faith to be your Savior? God's people, you can't go forward with backwards thinking. Let God help us with the right mindset. The past, it may seem fun, but there are no miracles there. And it only leaves you with regret. The thing about serving Jesus I love, one of the many things is that you can serve Him with no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. Oh, that only comes when you trust and obey. How about it?